This is section fifty two of Mark Twain, a biography. Volume two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, a biography. By Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter one hundred and fifty six. The close of a great career. The Clemens household did not go to Elmira that year until the twenty seventh of June. Meantime, General Grant had been taken to Mount McGregor near the Adirondacks. The day after Clemens reached Elmira there came a summons saying that the general had asked to see him. He went immediately and remained several days. The resolute old commander was very feeble by this time. It was three months since he had been believed to be dying, yet he was still alive, still at work, though he could no longer speak. He was adding here and there a finishing touch to his manuscript writing with effort on small slips of paper containing but a few words each. His conversation was carried on in the same way. Mark Twain brought back a little package of those precious slips, and some of them are still preserved. The writing is perfectly legible, and shows no indication of a trembling hand. On one of these slips is written, There is much more that I could do if I was a well man. I do not write quite as clearly as I could, if well. If I could read it over myself, many little matters of anecdote and incident would suggest themselves to me. On another, have you seen any portion of the second volume? It is up to the end, or nearly so. As much more work as I have done today will finish it. I have worked faster than if I had been well. I have used my three boys and a stenographer. And on still another, if I could have two weeks of strength, I could improve it very much. As I am, however, it will have to go about as it is, with verifications by the boys and by suggestions which will enable me to make a point clear here and there. Certainly no campaign was ever conducted with a braver heart. As long as his fingers could hold a pencil, he continued at his task. Once he asked if any estimate could now be made of what portion would accrue to his family from the publication. Clemens' prompt reply that more than one hundred thousand sets had been sold, and that already the amount of his share secured by safe bonds exceeded one hundred and fifty thousand dollars seemed to give him deep comfort. Clemens told him that the country was as yet not one-third canvassed, and that without doubt their turns would be twice as much more by the end of the year. Grant made no further inquiry, and probably never again mentioned the subject to anyone. When Clemens left, General Grant was sitting, fully dressed, with a shawl about his shoulders, pencil and paper beside him. It was a picture that would never fade from the memory. In a later memorandum he says, I then believed he would live several months. He was still adding little perfecting details to his book and preface, among other things. He was entirely through a few days later. Since then the lack of any strong interest to employ his mind has enabled the teedy weariness to kill him. I think his book kept him alive several months. He was a very great man, 
and superlatively good. This note was made July 23, 1885, at 10 a.m., on receipt of the news that General Grant was dead. To Henry Ward Beecher, Clemens wrote, One day he put his pencil aside and said, There was nothing more to do. If I had been there I could have foretold the shock that struck the world three days later. It can be truly said that all the nation mourned. General Grant had no enemies, political or sectional, in those last days. The old soldier battling with a deadly disease, yet bravely completing his task, was a figure at once so pathetic and so noble that no breath of animosity remained to utter a single word that was not kind. Memorial services were held from one end of the country to the other. Those who had followed him in peace or war, those who had fought beside him or against him alike, paid tribute to his memory. Twitchell from the mountains of Vermont wrote, I suppose I have said to Harmony forty times since I got up here, how I wish I could see Mark. My notion is that between us we could get ourselves expressed. I have never known anyone who could help me read my own thoughts in such a case as you can, and have done many a time, dear old fellow. I'd give more to sit on a log with you in the woods this afternoon while we twined a wreath together for Lancelot's grave than to hear any conceivable eulogy of him pronounced by mortal lips. The death of Grant so largely and so suddenly augmented the orders for his memoirs that it seemed impossible to get the first volume printed in time for the delivery, which had been promised for December 1st. J. J. Little had the contract of manufacture, and every available press and bindery was running double time to complete the vast contract. In the end more than three hundred thousand sets of two volumes each were sold, and between four hundred and twenty and four hundred and fifty thousand dollars was paid to Mrs. Grant. The first check of two hundred thousand dollars, drawn February twenty seventh, eighteen eighty six, remains the largest single royalty check in history. Mark Twain's prophecy had been almost exactly verified. End of chapter one hundred and fifty six the close of a great career. Read by John Greenman.